Welcome to We Are Meaningful, a podcast where we transform the anonymous experiences of black and brown talent into powerful audio narratives. Each month, we center the dialogue around a common theme, providing you, our listeners, with the tools and resources you need to help navigate, grow, and thrive in corporate spaces. Our stories, experiences, and our voices are meaningful. We are meaningful. Hi, everyone. This is Crystal. And this is Krista. And welcome to another episode of the We Are Meaningful podcast. Y'all have been riding with us for a while now. We're besties. We're We're like an official high school relationship. We are eight months into this. We go together. I wear your scrunchie on my wrist. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. We just want to, as we do every month, just say thank you to everyone who has continued to support us, um, continue to listen to these episodes, interact with us on social media, come to our Bring Your Own Snacks events that we have on a monthly basis on the last Saturday of every month. Y'all are popping. You. It's you. Yes, we do this because of you. And we are going to keep going. Last month's event was epic. We had a whole conversation about belonging in the beginning. Then we had a few sessions. Krista, you led a safe space discussion. We had a conversation that was led about mental health. And also a conversation that was led about taking the mask off and strategies to actually do that. And then we close with part two of They Tried It, which y'all heard last month with the Bold Black Girls podcast. It was great. It was. And I think it was an excellent transition because uh, that whole event was centered around last month's narrative, right? Assimilate, please which talks about all the ways in which corporate America asks us to kind of like mute ourselves or be a different version of ourselves in order to assimilate into their cultures. And this month's narrative, Crystal, is called The Extraness. Um, And it's actually a beautiful transition because it talks so much about um, the mental and emotional labor that goes into being a different person and doubting yourself. So now we're going beyond what's being asked of us, right? That initial ask that's like, hey, it'd be great if you could just be a little bit more like us. And now it's talking about what goes on in our heads when that's being asked of us. Yes. So I'm ready to just jump into it. We would love y'all to hear it. So let's roll the narrative. Children growing, women producing, men go working, some do stealing. Everyone's got to make a living. I've been known to stand out from the crowd for as long as I can remember. I'm a short, curvy, brown Latina with thick, curly hair and a fierce, resting bitch face, who for over a decade tried to fit into corporate America, oblivious to all of the stakes that were against me until a few years ago. I've had my previous managers describe me as intimidating, 
unapproachable, aggressive, dramatic, prickly, spicy, and spunky, just to name a few. I had a boss who clearly had never interacted with a person that looks like me or comes from my background. She thought we'd find common ground by talking to me about her Peruvian nanny and asking me who Felicia is. As in, bye Felicia. She made a comment about how I walked around the office, giving off an arrogant vibe like I own the place. <laughs> Interesante. Why does my confidence have to equal arrogance? Should I walk with my head down and shoulders slumped? Would that have made her feel less intimidated? I once asked my colleague if she noticed that I was treated differently by our boss. Of course she'd noticed. Everyone noticed. She said, it seems you make her uncomfortable, but I don't know why. I was just being myself. I wasn't mean, unprofessional, irresponsible, inarticulate, rude, condescending, inappropriate. I was just myself. Who else was I supposed to be? But apparently, I am just too much. In an effort to be less intimidating, I tried to be less extra. I'd stay quiet in meetings and speak last so people wouldn't think I was being too aggressive or too passionate. I'd keep my hair in a low bun, wear flats and oversized cardigans to attract less attention. I even practiced walking around with a smile plastered on my face, even though it felt ridiculous and inauthentic. At this point, I was about to break because for the life of me, I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. Why am I so polarizing? Am I really so difficult to get along with? Am I really hard to manage? Am I supposed to dim my light because it shines too brightly in their eyes? Am I supposed to mute myself and become a milder, blander version to acquiesce to their standards? Am I too much? Unfortunately, having a big personality and being a woman of color is considered a double negative, especially in the corporate world. I battled with this existential dilemma for a while, but through introspection realized, I'm not the problem, they are. So I love that song, genuinely I love that song, and let me tell you why. When I was younger, um, the Jenny from the Block song, sorry. Um, when I was younger, I, went to a private school because my mom worked there, so my tuition was free. But I was the only young girl of color in my classes. So uh, life was really kind of not different, um, but I think that experience was the first time I had started to realize that I was different, right? I was like, wait a minute, I look different than everybody else and it's an issue for them. Like I remember I had a crush on this little boy and I had told him that I had a crush on him and he was like, I, I only like girls with like yellow hair and blue eyes though. Mm. And it, it really like kind of took the breath out of me because I felt like so ugly, I felt so little and I also remember during that time, I had like a best friend who stopped being my friend because she said I was so dramatic. And um, 
Wait. We had all these dramatic. different like. Wait a minute. What's up with right. all these kids knowing all these words? Hold up. How exactly. Do you, how do you know you only like girls with yellow hair and blue eyes? And then also, how the audacity, dramatic. You are too dramatic. Right. She was just like, you just always seem really dramatic, Krista. And I think it was just because my, like, my energy and my presence was just like really sassy. That was just like how I had grown up. And that was my house. And it was definitely not something that they were used to, right? Like, this was like a very, like, polished vanilla kind of private school but getting back to jenny from the block we had a library um that had music in it and it was mostly just white artists but there was one track by j-lo and she was like the only person that i had ever seen that looked like that on a cd or on an album cover and i was in love with it and I would listen to it on repeat all the time. And then I remember I would start trying to dress like her. It was a private school, so we had uniforms. But like on days that we didn't have to wear a uniform, I would try to dress like her, like put a bandana in my hair or wear like, um, like jean overalls or something because I just felt so empowered. And then everybody started associating me with her. They'd be like, you're so much like J-Lo, Krista. You're so much like J-Lo. And... Um, Unfortunately, we like fast forward to now, right? Where that doesn't necessarily, that's not necessarily a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> Where somebody just takes all of these different women within one ethnic or racial group and um, like kind of makes them homogenous, right? Like they all have the same personality. They all have the same identity. They all have the same style, that kind of stuff. Sorry, that story went long, but I actually didn't realize how much was in it. I'm, I'm unpacking stuff. <laughs> you are unpacking a whole unpacking lot of things stuff. on this call right now. But I think another thing that you pointed out that I think is significant is that when you were younger, the kids loved that you were like J-Lo. Mm -hmm. As you grow up and you consider all of the stereotypical traits that come with insert marginalized identity. So in this case, J-Lo, a Latina, in the workplace, that's not a positive thing. Obviously, depending on who you're talking to. If you're talking to me, I love it. However, right. if you're talking to people who want you to assimilate, be like them, show up like them, be in this box, it, it's not good for them. Right. And I think for the most part, people just don't know any other Latinas in entertainment or any other like Latinas that are famous in general. So everybody always goes to the same. I promise you every place that I've ever worked, I could like bet on I'll be called J-Lo or compared to her within the first month. And there's really not much that we have in common I'm not even Puerto Rican, <laughs> so um, it's it's just interesting. And like you said, the the traits that are stereotypically associated with us, right? And when people like use words like spicy and mm -hmm. stuff like that, it's I don't know. It's always done. Um, it's always convenient. And I think we talked about this a lot last month, right? It's always about what's convenient. 
So it's convenient when they need more like diversity on a page, but it's not convenient when that also means that I'm very authentic and I'm confident in the way that I deliver my messages and my challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although this narrative, I think, was very well done, it also just made me sad, like, as I kept listening to it. And I think it's because, for me, I've been in a place where I was doing all these extra things to, like, make sure that I wasn't too loud, too assertive, that I was patient, that I was all these, I don't know, I... I've never used this before, but I would say like these submissive traits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I wanted to, to display all these submissive traits and how horrible that felt. Yeah. When now I feel like I'm not doing that. Like I just, I can't, I, I just can't do it. But when I listened to the narrative, it made me feel like I was right back there. So it just really made me very sad. Um, but based on the story and the person that we know whose it is, who you're going to meet later this month, I'm ha- I was happy to know that she was able to move beyond having to be extra, having to try to make herself fit into this box to make other people feel comfortable. Yeah, and I think so often people really do try to put us in a box, right? Like I don't walk around being like, oh my gosh, you really remind me of Reese Witherspoon. Like, what does that mean? And why does it matter? (laughs) Um, And it just, it's just that that stuff always happens to women of color, right? Or it's like, oh my gosh, okay, Beyonce just because like a black woman shows up looking good today. Right. And it's like, why? For what? Like, um, but I, I think a lot of the times people just try to leverage our identity to connect with us. And they so often don't have, they don't have other reference points because they haven't been around other like black women and brown women. So like, how do I build a connection with this person who's so different from me? And I'm like, well, first, maybe not treat me like I'm different. Just respect the fact that I am. Yeah. And um, yeah, I was just thinking, like you said, how this moment, this narrative just made you feel a little sad because I think whether or not people are still in that place in their lives, I think most black and brown women have experienced this at one time or another, right? Where you're being cast or categorized or painted as this very like dramatic, over the top, intimidating, aggressive, um, just extra character. Right. That makes me think about um, (laughs) a situation that I often encounter at work, which is Uh, one of the things that we talked about in the narrative, which is walking around, trying to walk around with a smile plastered on your face 100% of the time. (laughs) Because first of all, I'm not a performer. I'm not a jester. This is just my face. So if everyone else around who 
is not a person of color can listen to you speaking. They can take in what you're saying. They can process it. Why can't I do the same thing? Like, why is my face the face that you choose to say, what's wrong with you? Are you sure you're okay? You seem like you were a little upset. Mm-hmm. Why though? Because I had the plain face? A new- can, I- can my face be neutral? Because right, I like, can't walk around with a smile plastered on my face like I'm a clown. I cannot. And I, nobody's saying anything when like Katie over there is slack jawed and like looks like she's about to drool in this meeting. Like no one's saying anything about that. So I, again, back to this, I don't get why it feels like our look and our energy is consistently policed. Yes. And it creates a bit of like this doubt and anxiety that we heard in the narrative, right? Like, I don't know what it was like for you, Crystal, when you were like living in this moment. I'd love to hear it, but I know that I went home and I replayed the day and I was like, crap, maybe I said that word too strong. Mm, maybe, I, maybe I said something that sounded sassy in that email. Um, oh, I kind of I kind of looked at her weird or you know what I mean? And it it made me nervous because also we hear in the narrative that sometimes these situations and these encounters where we're accidentally offending people just because we're different does play a role in our job security. Yeah, absolutely it does. If someone feels threatened by you, and I know we've talked about this before with the previous guest, um, but it's that article and maybe we'll drop it in the show notes. The name of the article was like pet to threat. So you come into the office, people are like, yes, I'm excited for this person. They're going to bring this new perspective, this new energy. You get there and they're like, wait a minute. I, I wasn't sure. <laughs> I'm not sure if this is what I really wanted. Mm-hmm. So now this person has turned into a threat because they show up as confident, because they are assertive, um, because they might be straightforward. Whatever it is that they're doing is making you feel intimidated. So now we're at the point where I'm a threat to you and you're wondering, how am I going to get you out of here? And I'm wondering, how do I keep my job? when I'm just doing the things that I was hired to do. And if you're so at level one, right, worrying about what it's like to keep your job, how do you even get to like level four, which is bringing your authentic self to work? Yeah, that's hard to do. I mean, if you're in a situation like that, it's very difficult to get from level one, if that's worrying to a level four, if that's bringing your authentic self. I think ideally you would want to have the safety in your space to be able to speak up. But if yeah, you don't, I, go ahead. But if you don't feel safe to speak up, maybe that's not the place for you. Right. And it also just affects your work performance too. And you know, you never know, right? Is it chicken or egg? Is it just a self-fulfilling prophecy where the, the way that people are treating you ends up 
affecting your work because now I'm like, I don't know what I can say. I don't know how this will be received. I don't know how that'll be received. I know that I can't say this idea because Katie gets fussy when I present ideas that are better than hers, you know? Um, so uh, all, of these, all of these different things, and I think the, the biggest piece of the narrative is how our differences are demonized. And I think we're always trying to make sure that our differences are celebrated and that they're embraced. And that's what inclusion looks like. Um, but unfortunately, not every space is like that. Yeah, that's certainly ideal state where you feel welcome, valued, appreciated, and expected. Like, my difference is expected. It's not something that's catching you off guard. And you're willing to lean into that unique difference even if it's different than the ways that you might approach things. Because without different perspectives, ways of thinking, um, approach, then organizations, whether that has to do with the culture, the bottom line, whatever it is, you're gonna stay stagnant. You're never gonna change. You're never gonna be agile. You're never going to be better in the best that you can be if you stay in the same position behaving the same exact way forever. Yeah, and hopefully this month in in the episodes that we hear, you know, our listeners, our community also find reasons to feel empowered in that they don't need to stay in situations that make them feel that way or that uh, there's a way to transition your mindset so that you no longer keep muting who you are in order to make other people happy. Yes, yes, you deserve what you require. You deserve everything it is that you want. And if an organization is no longer serving you, roll out, roll out. Yeah, now you have a community, right? That's another big part of it. So. Um, we'll talk about this in, in the episode next week, but the person whose narrative this is actually did end up inspiring me because technically she was the first Latina leader I had ever seen. I had never seen it before and I didn't know what to expect. I was like, I don't know if she'll like, like me or dislike me or want to mentor me or want nothing to do with me. I, I like, I was like a new puppy. <laughs> I was she like, I don't know. Her. I don't know what to make of this big dog. So <laughs> <laughs> she loves you. And yeah, we keep a saying she, she, she. But you'll you'll hear from her next week. We won't let the cat out the bag yet. It's gonna blow your mind. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the We Are Meaningful podcast. Follow us on Instagram at wearemeaningful.co and visit our website to learn more about our community and how you can get involved. We're excited to hear your thoughts on today's episode. Talk to you next week. <laughs>